Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. On the show, we've talked about beef, we've talked about bison, but we have yet to delve into the world of pork, but that changes today, as my guest is an expert in all things pig. His products are not only available for wholesale, but they've been featured in fine dining restaurants like Dolce and The Boiler Room. I am very proud to welcome this guest, Travis Dunakaki, the owner of TD Niche Pork. Travis, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here today. So I want to get into the full story of how TD Niche Pork came to be, but I think we have to just start off about your love of pork. You started this company as a hobby in 2008. Now, I, I don't know about you, but most of my friends, their hobbies include like playing video games or oh. watching football <laughs> or something, and, and you're off starting like a, like a legitimate business. What makes you so passionate about pork? Well, um, First of all, you just mentioned <clears throat> beef is king in Nebraska. I grew up on on a farm, and that's where the pigs are today on the, the farm I grew up on. And we had some pigs. They were mainly kind of my project for 4-H and showing. But beef was was the main was the main thing. And uh, you know, both on the production and consumption side, beef is beef is king in Nebraska. And you know, the pork and the pork business has changed a lot <clears throat> in the last. Uh, Oh, 40, 50 years, um, the pork became substantially leaner in that time. And I, th- beans are, most of them ended up being raised indoors. I used to work for operations like that. The the pork lost a lot of its traditional flavor. So uh, my belief is pork uh, can run with beef and quality and eating experience with uh, the highest grades of beef. Uh, and if we can, if we can do it anywhere, we can do it here in the Midwest. Now, you mentioned you saw the pork get leaner over time as more operations moved indoors. Is there a direct correlation between those two uh, things? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, traditionally, hogs were raised really up until probably World War II or even maybe shortly after for for their more so for their fat. Right. Lard. And it was used for a lot of products. And then, you know, for a number of things have displaced it, petroleum, vegetable oil, et cetera. So that was the main focus with more so with pork was the, the the fat and beef really wasn't beef was pork was the most uh, consumed meat in the US until about that I think about that time maybe a little bit before that in the 30s because it had the most flavor beef was primarily much leaner um uh, a lot of the cattle were still used for dairy things like that so that well marbled beautiful 
corn-fed beef really didn't come about till probably right around or after World War II as well. So after World War II, um, for a number of reasons, different uses for for less use of lard and fat, um, make make, uh, the meats leaner. The selection criteria from that time, really, and probably until, oh, uh, just recently with the the commodity production hogs was making the pigs leaner, and they went to the extreme to do that because that's what they're getting rewarded for in the marketplace. But then... You know, the the discovery kind of came, like a lot of things, by accident, you know, probably in the in the 90s, probably, where people started questioning that. So we want pork back with more flavor. So they, they kind of went, looked back to some breeds that just fell out of favor after the lean craze after World War II. So we've made those breeds leaner, but they still have their traditional meat quality. So, and, you know, it's just the evolution of the food business. The The food business continues to stratify and go into different directions of, of different uh, grades of quality and price and availability and, and, and things like that. So, you know, it just, uh, I just was fortunate to start this in 2008, a pretty, a pretty opportune time for that. Mm-hmm. Now, as we get into the episode, we're going to be talking about a lot of pork, a lot of different products. And just knowing myself as a foodie, if I were listening to this, I'd be like, okay, where can I get this stuff? So I want to start right off the bat of this podcast by mentioning that, your products can be, like like I mentioned, a couple of the restaurants that they can be eaten at. They can also be purchased at Cure, Otilly Meats, and the Mercado in Lincoln. Plus, if I'm understanding it right, people can buy whole or half hogs directly from you, correct? Right. Yeah, we try to have as many options as possible. Um, you know, buying direct from me, we really like to sell the half and whole pig just for the value. And, and I really like to see the customer eat. No pun intended, the whole pig. Because <laughs> um, I just think there's just uh, such a variety of of flavors in, within, a, within a pig and so many different things you can do. Beef beef is great. You don't have quite have as many of those options. You, you end up with a mountain of hamburger no matter what you do, how you cut it. Pork, though, you end up with a nice balance between the chops and the ribs and the bacon and the ham and the shoulder. And some of those products, if you don't, your family, you don't want them, you don't like them, you can make them into something else. You can grind them, you can smoke them, you can tenderize them, etc. So, yeah, Cure North of Omaha, Fort Calhoun is, you know, your go-to place for really just unique, unique, mo- never heard of products, and they're all great. Um, Otilly and the Mercado there in Lincoln, and then... Dolce and Boiler Room through through many years, well, since 2009 as restaurants and pandemic and restaurant closing, still kind of been the two shining stars over all those years. There's been a number of other customers here here in Omaha, and some of them are coming back uh, from last year's debacle. Um, and then, yeah, I can, if I do the half or whole, whole hog, um, a lot of customers like to drive down to my area. That's It's about 85 miles to the processing plant. In Elk so Creek. some uh, the farms near Elk Creek, the processing plant we primarily use is right south of their dense country meats and table rocks. A lot of customers like to pick up their own. Then I do deliver some here on Wednesdays on delivery day. So now I want to get a little bit into the background so people can kind of understand where you're coming from and and where your passion for pork evolved from. You mentioned earlier you grew up in your family's farm, which has been in the family for over sixty years, and you kind of you got a chance to to see what that lifestyle was like. Was that 
Did, did you enjoy that lifestyle growing up or did it take some time away from it to kind of realize how much you enjoyed it and that you wanted to return to it? Probably combination thereof. Um, you know, both, both sides of my family are farmers to different, different little, um, operations or, you know, Southeast Nebraska and Eastern Nebraska, primary crops would be your grain crops, corn and soybeans, not so much wheat anymore, hay, and then livestock, um, a lot of a lot of farms don't have livestock anymore, so yeah, I always like the farming thing. Got to remember though, I I uh, was growing up in the 1980s where farming was not a very good business to be in. It's very tough with uh, we call it the farm crisis. A lot of farm foreclosures. The interest rates coming out of the 70s and early 80s really did a lot of people in. Um, saw a number of neighbors that happened to file bankruptcy, etc. So. Just a tough business uh, when I was growing up, and even in, you know into high school, and uh, you know just almost kind of looked down upon if you wanted to do that as a career. I think it's changed a lot since that time. It's been a, it's been a better business too. I mean, it's been a much better better enterprises since that time over the last thirty thirty years or so. But so yeah, I think I have a four year degree in psychology from Prue State College. My family and teachers said you need to go to college you're one of those people that needs to get a four-year degree so i don't know i don't know what i was going to do i <laughs> looked into like the animal science and that's too technical for me the chemistry and math just we just don't uh, <laughs> see eye to eye so kind of looked at that and just thought, well i've got a major in something i'm probably not gonna be a teacher so and then i still ended up in ag, ag fields out of college and a number of different places and then like worked for the larger scale commodity, you know, confinement, indoor type swine operations. And I decided in 2007, I just need to get a 40 hour, 40 hour job. It doesn't wear me out physically. So I went to work for department of corrections in my area and started the TD niche pork as a hobby. So, so. I mean, as you, I didn't expect it to grow to what it became as even today or as what it did within about two or three years after that. So as you started working for the Department of Corrections and you said, you know, you you wanted that stable 40-hour job, which wasn't Mm -hmm. so physically demanding, Mm -hmm. at what point did you start to feel that pull back to some form of agriculture? Just like, this job is great, but I need need something along the lines of what I know and what I love. Well, Michael, you know, a lot of farmers today have a really struggle – becoming a full-time farmer because they they may have some 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 livestock a lot of times cattle but not enough and it's not enough revenue and income to stay home from full-time job but they can swing it they're, they're busy working a full-time job and then the more your crop farmers uh, that's extremely seasonal so they will take their vacation for planting and harvest or they'll get a seasonal job you know in the winter maybe even in the summer between the planting and the planning and the harvesting. So my goal was to try to become a full-time farmer. Um, and this was one of the best ways to do it and don't have to compete against everybody else trying to do the same thing. Always going after the land, trying to rent more, rent more land, buying it's wow. You got to wait till you're about on social security now to be able to buy it. But, uh, but so I decided, you know, I can expand this without competing for resources like everybody else that, that has proven to be very true. Uh, so just from a 30,000 foot view, like when you decide, okay, I'm going to start a hog farm, I have the land, but where do you even like, what's the first step? Where do you even start? Well, I did a, when I was working for 
the other hog farms and the corrections too. I guess I did, and still do a lot of, a lot of uh, research on where to source the different breeds of pigs we wanted to carry and what what people the restaurants and the customers have liked. But really, probably get down to the nuts and bolts of the reason why it works where I grew up, where our farm is, is simply because of that location. Um, it is a central location to do this because um, Nebraska, eastern Nebraska, and maybe you can even say southeast Nebraska is the most blessed location in the in the U.S. and the world in the Midwest for small processors. So the ride for the pigs is uh, <clears throat> eleven miles from the farm to the processor on Monday mornings. And then there's that, but there's other processors in my area that that don't. It doesn't back up all the spaces. I mean, last year we had the covid pandemic rush that's pretty much over now but <clears throat> so i get the animals processed if you can't get the animals processed within a reasonable distance of your farm and do it in that small scale direct you're you're out of luck um not to say you don't still have to compete for them so you had that advantage and that was a number one i just looked man there's a lot of infrastructure and capacity in this area to do that number two is you're you're still in the area where livestock and hogs are raised so you know, the equipment, you can find the equipment, you can find the other, you know, the supplies you need. Um, and if you have to go to another market, we call it a salvage market, it's still there if you have excess supply. And then another one that's very huge, um, especially what we call the finishing side of livestock or swine, you know, from swine, hog, we'd say from 50 pounds to 300 or so finish, is that takes a mountain of grain. So you have to be in a spot that has that, fairly affordable which which we do we probably have some of the lowest feed costs in the nation so kind of that and then well and then when i got into the restaurants that wasn't even really part of the plan initially and just kind of stumbled into it then uh they're primarily in the omaha area and some in lincoln so the the customers are all minus some of the individuals are within about a 90 mile radius of the farm so that just those things all kind of fell into place, kind of bloom where you're planted, take advantage of your location. Mm -hmm. How do you decide what breeds uh, of pig are going to work for you and which question. you want to raise? I had a pretty good idea going in. I mean, we tweaked a lot of things and done more crossbreeding, but really and definitely since that time is customer input, what the customers like the best, um, and, you know, tried different, different things and, uh, changed the feed some and, uh, being as they're finished outdoors, running outdoors 365 days a year, it 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 polishes about any of them up pretty good. They end up tasting good. And they're, they go to butcher large by finished hog standards, uh, 290 to 330 pounds. So by that time, they should be tasting pretty good and put on some fat and marbling too. So Now, I'm no expert in agriculture, but I would imagine just the environments that – is required to raise beef are very different, or at least there are some differences to raise pork. What kind of research and adjustments did you have to make to the farm to accommodate this new business? Well, like a, like a beef operation, um, <clears throat> you know, beef is a less efficient animal to convert to feed. Um, but, you know, even like to your, what we call the cow calf sector, you know, that takes a lot of re land resources because it, you got to have land for the cows to graze on in the, the growing green season. And then a lot of cows in Nebraska get put on corn stalks, like from now at harvest time into, into the, you know, early winter. 
sometimes well into the winter. And so you got to have a lot of land for them to graze the corn stalks. You may, can feeds of hay is very expensive, but you have to have a lot of land to put up the hay. But it takes, it depends on what, what type of system you have, but it takes about twice as much feed to put on a pound of gain on a beef animal as a hog. As a hog. So for the hogs, you don't quite um, need as much land area to put them on, even if you're putting them outside. But the feed has to come from somewhere. I buy all my feed from feed mill, so you got to figure all the acres of grain that took, you know, to supply that. But uh, you you can you can handle a lot more animals, probably more efficiently in a swine operation than a, than a beef operation. Okay, so you mentioned this business started as a hobby while you still had a a full time, or maybe it was like a part time side yeah. hustle more than a hobby. But it was not your full time gig no. originally. At what point did you realize, hey, th- this is really something? It has legs. Maybe this should be my full time thing. Once once I saw that the restaurants there was some. And about, oh, I suppose you could say three. Well, the first restaurant sale was March of uh, 2009 to the to the boiler room. And I had no idea what I was getting <laughs> into. I just dropped it off and the chef wasn't even there. The prep chef was there and he called me on the way home like, this is some of the best pork we've ever seen. And I, I mean, I, I grew, you know, grew up and live, I guess, fairly close to Omaha. But I've been here a number of times, but... Still didn't know any much about Omaha, and especially not the downtown, the old market, none of that. And I remember coming up here, and it, I remember the old market at that time still felt kind of like a typical downtown of a city, you know, kind of abandoned, needs some polishing up, and it's totally different now. I mean, it's a built-up, happening hip place. But, mm-hmm. but uh, <clears throat> yeah, once the restaurants got, got going, probably in about 2011 or so, it became, appeared there were some, some potential. So, what what was that conversion like for you? Going from part time to this is it. This it is was, my job. It was now. hectic because I was getting taxed out working full time, and then business is going pretty well. And then I I like I do the deliver, do the deliveries now, and so that was hired out to somebody else then. So it was getting pretty hectic. And then oh, I probably had to work. I suppose about. Almost three years, still part time fit, but it was kind of more of my convenience to fit in with it. And then eventually, grew a little more, and I just got my own trailer and started doing my own deliveries. Which doing the deliveries has been great because you get to see the customers in person. It makes it a lot easier and try to track them down on the phone or phone or even texting. I mean, I do a lot of texting and messaging now, but it's usually pretty much just you ordered this, it'll be here next week. It's not asking them if they need something as mm-hmm. much. So yeah, that. That's, I mean, and that's still, I'm not a techie guy. I'm not anti-technology. That's still, I, for this business at least, the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. See people in person. It still works. Yes. So. Develop that personal connection. Yep. So I've had several producers or farmers on the show previously, and I've heard the whole range of answers about how they got into restaurants. Sometimes they, they had a friend who was a chef who could help them. Sometimes they had another in or a customer that vouched for them to a chef. A lot of times it was just, they went and knocked on the back door and said, Hey, I've got some vegetables here. I'd love for yeah. you to try these. And that's how they got in. How did you start introducing TD niche pork um, to restaurants? That, uh, just before I talk about that, I, I had been to training and talked to other, um, producers across the nation. And some of them told horror stories about restaurants, like the chef will, tell you where to go if you come into his kitchen and just wants this and he wants it this way 
And, I mean, there's been a little bit of that. For the most part, though, they've been pretty easy to work with. And then a gal in Indiana told me right before I started selling the restaurants, she said, if you want your business to grow raising that kind of pork, you do need to sell the restaurants. And she's right. She's definitely right. But, uh, anyway, I can, I can owe pretty much my foot in the door, well, almost exclusively to Brian O'Malley at Metro Community College. I met him at a – and he's, been, he's there now. He's still there now. He's been there a long time, but – I went to a conference in, uh, it would have been like the winter of 08. It was a nasty winter, and I was going to stay home and work, but it was so crappy that day and cold. I'm like, well, I might as well go to this conference, Nebraska Sustainable Ag Society. And they bought a little bit at Metro, but he said, you need to go talk to these restaurants. Go talk to Paul Kulik at Boiler Room. So got to know him, and it seemed like he got in with him. He pretty much knew. <laughs> that guy's got a lot of connections. He knew a lot of them. I still uh-huh. run into him and deliver some other products to his plate restaurants. But, you know, the, the Omaha chefs for sure are very – Maybe not as much now, but back then, for sure, they're definitely very close with each other, um, and word spreads pretty quick. So, What's And that? then after that, once you get to know them, you'd... and then now it's like I run into a prep chef, like, he's a chef somewhere, I'm like, yeah, I remember you, like, five years ago working, where were you working? And oh, that's cool. So now, after a while, yeah, they just it just keeps kind of recycling, you know, recycling them, it seems like. So. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, so. it, it's great to, to get recognition from customers and especially repeat customers who come back and tell you, Hey, we love the food and everything, but what type of validation does it give you when restaurants and chefs are saying that to you, when you're getting that call from the boiler room and they're saying, this is the best pork we've ever seen. Like is, does that just confirm that you made the right decision to go into this full time? Yeah. Especially when they don't even eat it. They just look at it. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's probably the best thing is, you know, and they know was looking at it. It's going to taste great. And then, uh, you definitely like it when customers, <clears throat> I mean, so, you know, when I'm in there, which isn't as often as it should should be lately, but they'll say good, good things to you or you get messages from the customers like they want to order some pork or they just say they liked it, things like that. So, yeah, I mean, a great chef and great, great products, that's a, that's a pretty good combination. So, Have you gotten a chance to eat your pork in restaurants? Oh, yeah. yeah well, I, what's that like? I don't order. I believe it or not. Sometimes I order it, like, but it, usually if it's like, usually believe it or not, if I go into a restaurant I do business with, with, a lot of times I order stuff that I don't make at home. I mean, I eat oh yeah, pork and beef all the time. <laughs> you want to Se- switch it up? Seafood. I believe it's a lot of seafood because I don't make you know striped bass at home or uh, all the different fish. Place like Boiler Room serves. I've never you know fish I've never heard of. So. Uh huh. But no, it's great when the restaurants serve it, and they always they always do a great job. So, and the, you know, they most all of them now take the whole pig, so they have to they have to use the whole animal too. They can't just serve everybody pork chops and bacon. So. so, as of recording, while we're recording this, there's a dish on uh, the Boiler Room's menu right now that features a TD niche braised Berkshire pork shoulder. It's plated with a roasted poblano aioli, stewed garbanzo beans, Brussels sprouts, green apples, and pork. Jew, when you first opened this operation, could you have ever imagined that one of Omaha's finest restaurants would be taking these crazy ingredients and these awesome preparations yeah. and doing it with your product? It is intimidating when you're not f- familiar with that, like the terms they use and, and things like that. But then you go eat it. It's like, mm, that's good. And that really fills me up. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not what a lot of people think going to a fancy place. I mean, you walk out of there, you know, uh-huh. places like that. And then the one thing, you know, Paul Kulik, especially in Boiler Room and then the other sense have taught me that the chefs in those places, they want that revolving menu. 
they might put pork on for a week or, you know, or they might put pork on every day, but they might change the dish. They want the, they want the customer, the diner comes in and wants to try something new. Chefs don't like the guy that comes in and orders a, orders a 14 ounce ribeye every time. That's, they, they want that revolving, you know, and the pork, I've just seen them. Yeah. Combine it with well, seafood, um, all kinds. Of, yeah. Just great, just great dishes and different vegetables and sauces and just, it's all good. Well, I think that's the beauty of pork too, is that yeah. you've mentioned, you know, they're using the whole hog and there are so many different products yeah. that they can use on there. There's bacon, there's shoulder, there's uh, pork belly, you know, I mean, I'm charcuterie, sh- that's a huge charcuterie. thing. You, yeah. you could probably label off 15 or 20 things like just off the yeah. top of your head, like pork is kind of a chef's playground, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could process meats, you know, just sausages, sausage, charcuterie, uh, different cures on the ham. Yeah, there's endless. It it is, it is a chef's favorite protein to work with. I mean, when I first started, to a certain degree, I little got a little gruff from some restaurants. Well, I bet your pork's good, and and uh, <clears throat> love to bring it in, but I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can find guys skilled or want to take the time to cut it up. It's got to where, and it still is a little bit at today. Like guys, like I want to make sure I work the day you bring a pig in because I love cutting it up. It's just it's something different than that routine. Some products you have to go through. Uh-huh. So that's, that's encouraging too. Like, yeah, they they use you pretty excited on delivery day. So, hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I gotta remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. I love when restaurant menus list all the different producers and farms where their meats, cheeses, and vegetables arrive from. It gives me confidence that I'm eating a quality product because the restaurant is proud to attach its name to the brand. The same goes for beef, and that's one of the main reasons why I love certified Piedmontese. Certified Piedmontese is farm-to-fork traceable as it purchases its cattle from a trusted network of family ranches in the Midwest. All certified Piedmontese beef is raised without hormones, steroids, or antibiotics, and it's 100% source verified by where food comes from incorporated. And when you buy certified Piedmontese, you know where your food is coming from and why it tastes so good. Place your order today on Piedmontese.com with my promo code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, and feast on delicious, safe cuts of beef with confidence. And now, back to my guest. What, when you look back, what is the most important thing you think you learned from your early years of owning the farm? Well, the, you know, the, the animals have to perform. They are the, they are really the employees. They have to, uh, they have to grow and they have to, you know, we want them to get to that finished weight as, in a reasonable amount of time. And sometimes they struggle. I mean, you have health, there's always health issues that can come up with pigs. And then, you know, like this last summer, pigs don't like real hot weather being out anywhere, especially if they have to live in it outside. I mean, they get shade and some mud holes, but the hot weather can definitely slow things down. Last winter was up and down. Then we had that cold blast for 10 days in February and that wasn't fun for them either. But yeah, the the animals have to perform, and that, but then that translates into the eating experience. You know, healthy, fast growing, you know, quality animal is going to translate into that on the plate too, if it has the right genetic genetic package as well. So. If you could go back to one of those early years, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, somewhere back there, and give yourself then one piece of advice, what would it be? No, just get ready, just. 
what do I, what do I, what do we say? What do I say? Who's next? I mean, if they, the shit, you know, there was like this one fall, I think it was, I think it was like two, 2011 or 12 after I was going, there was like within like 10 days or two weeks, like three chefs told I'm leaving. I'm going to a different place or we're changing this. And now that's just like water off a duck's back. You know, they, I'm like, Chef saying they're leaving, the restaurant's closing, the something's changing. That's just, it's just, just part, part of the of, business. Well, who, yeah, yeah. But that that was a little, you know, because I thought, man, I'm in with these guys. They're just going to be here forever. <laughs> that that's not how it works. The restaurants. I mean, the ones that do stay stable and consistent are certainly the most rewarding to work with and easiest too. But it's just a high turnover profession for for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Now. Something that I find so interesting about your business is you don't even have a website. <laughs> you, yeah, sure. you, have, you have a Facebook page and Facebook. everything. But I, I found a, an interview with you where you said, I don't have any desire to sit in an office all day and process orders and not talk to customers. And you've kind of talked previously about the value of having that face-to-face yeah. time with customers. Just Is that an approach that you've always had? Or well, is that something that kind of developed over time? My goal is from the beginning and still today is to be pretty much, I mean, I'm not going to get every hog and pork sale in the state or Eastern Nebraska, but to, to really uh, have a pretty good penetration locally, what I call locally, which is within 90 miles of the farm. Um, um, You know, I, I don't mind doing office work and I do a little bit every day, but uh, even, even that the sales, I like being out, but you know, there's a lot of people have jumped into doing shipping shipping frozen pork to who knows where from their farm and and that's okay i mean i hope they do well but you never get to meet the customers i like going i dropped one off uh, down by gretna just before i came here and talked to the couple for a little bit and they'd ordered before and you know you carry it in the house and the kids want you to take it out of the take it out of the cooler and carry it down their basement or something like that and just i just i just think that's a much better direct way for me to do business right um you know i can i can hire a lot of extra help at the farm um, if i need to to get things done but on the sales and delivery side i'll I'll always do that myself Mm -hmm. now there's a great story behind your farm and behind td niche pork like i mentioned been in the family for 60 years so that's multiple generations your story is really cool but in that same interview that i referenced earlier you really emphasize that you don't push the story. You're, you're, you're not about talking about like, here's where I came from. Here, here's the value of this farm and everything. And I think you even had a quote that said, just because your dad or grandpa made it doesn't mean you're qualified to make it. How did you establish that philosophy? Well, my dad and grandpa didn't like hogs. They didn't have them. Um, I, like I said, I had a few as a kid cause I wanted them. All their neighbors had them at that time. And I thought it was cool. They did. I just thought they were as are more exciting than the cattle just seem like they're kind of a faster moving pace kind of animal. And, uh, so my knowledge of hogs though, I mean, more of that, you know, came after I was even out of college was mine. It wasn't, this is how we always did it. This is the way you do it. You know, it was more like what works today type attitude. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think some farms push, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have kids. I'm not married either, but, you know, I still think some farms push the push 
like I said, like you said, the story too much. I mean, I, I try to talk about the product and the customers because I just think that's what makes people repeat. I mean, nice, pretty pictures and all these things you feed or don't feed your animals. And I've seen people do a really nice job at that, but I go to their farm and like their animals are starving or not fed properly. And I put up a lot of pictures of the pigs on Facebook and I send pictures of their pigs to customers because they, they like the choices of the three different breeds. And I just think their mouth is the sales when it's all said and done to repeat. So, um, and then the reliability of the product availability. That's very important to me and very important to the customer base that they, they know like, yeah, restaurant, I don't need a pig next week, but I'll need one in three weeks because they know I'll have it. You know, They know it's always going to be there. So. Yeah, consistency is definitely key. Yeah. Uh, COVID-19 is something that obviously it has affected all of us, but it especially affected a lot of producers as restaurants – either had to operate at limited capacity or shut down or shut down temporarily. And then more people were cooking at home. So maybe more people are buying products that way. Just how did COVID-19 affect your business? Well, first, first off, I remember the, you know, whenever it was about March 15th or whatever, whatever day it was or in early mid-March, the uh, processor called me and said, are you still, you got 10 pigs on the schedule Monday. You still going to have 10? I'm like, I I'm still going to have seven. That's always a slow time anyway for restaurants. Thinking this COVID is just going to slam the door on everything we're doing. And within a month, it was like the phone just ringing. Messages from 7 in the really? morning till dark. Ordering pigs. Checking when they can get a pig. Process. I, I'm, I, have my pro, I always schedule over a year out with the processor anyway. So I had the dates. I added some because I knew they were going to get used up the individual started ordering like crazy and they, they have easily or ordered uh, the, what the restaurants backed off on. And then some since that time. Um, so yeah, it all, all in all, it, it did ding a few restaurant accounts. Uh, one closed, uh, another one hasn't came back yet, but the individuals have been good. And I, I remember telling myself after I looked through all the books and all the records after 19, I'm like, I got to start selling more pigs to individuals. <laughs> and I, <laughs> lo and behold, it worked. And I never, I would have never guessed uh, something like that would do it, but lo and behold, it works. And, and the, probably the best thing about the flush of people um, ordering with the, with the COVID COVID rush is that it, they turned out to be a lot higher quality customer than I envisioned when they were checking in. I just thought a lot of them be one and done. And a, a vast, a, a strong majority of them have reordered two or three times since then. A lot of them, and a lot of them I know were on the fence thinking, ah, I've heard about you. I've read about you. So we <laughs> thought about ordering. That was the, that led the fuse to do it. Mm-hmm. So. And once they taste that quality of yeah. the product, then you got them hooked. Yeah. So, other than delivering to homes versus a kitchen, what about your business changes when you're prior, not prioritizing, but when you're having a lot more sales to individuals or just straight to consumers versus to restaurants? It actually takes a little more time. The individuals, not, not a lot more time, but you have to spend some time talking with them on the phone. I actually talk to people on the phone. I answer my phone. Not everything's email and messages and stuff. Going, a lot of them were... A lot of them um, that came about last year were first-timers. So what am I going to get from a pig? How much meat am I going to get? And I go through everything, like, this is what you're going to get. This is what you might want to order. And I usually have them call the processor because I want them to get used to the 
the method of, and then because you never get it right, you order a half or a whole pig, you never get it right your first time or two because you figure out what cuts you use faster and what which ones, which ones uh, use slower, and then you you cut it different next time. So I spent you know a lot of time doing that, checking in, reminding people. I mean, I'm pretty religious. I the pigs go to butcher on Monday, so I try to get them to call their order in. It needs to be in the very latest by Tuesday morning after it's butchered, but I'm pretty good about getting them to call in in that process and uh, just training, customer training, <laughs> I guess. But once once they, once they do it, it's a piece of cake, though, once they get used to it. Mm-hmm. So. All right, got a couple more questions for you here as we wind down. I love to to ask this question or these questions, excuse me, to restaurant owners, but I think it's fun to hear from producers as well. What is something that you think most people don't understand about hogs and raising them that you wish they did understand? Um, I wish they just ate more of them. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't, what, what the public doesn't understand. You know, yeah. that, that's one thing though. Interestingly, you asked that is sometimes in rural America, farmers, ranchers, et cetera, like those people in the city, they don't know anything. They don't know anything about, they don't know anything about farming or ranching or raising animals. And granted, my customer base is above average in cooking, cook in home cooking ability, seeking out quality products. So I'm, it's made a little distorted, but I found people have a lot more knowledge in, in the cities, oh, in really? the suburbs than what, what I envisioned and what most people would envision about, just food or, or yeah, better, much better than, because, you know, the people, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily an urban thing. It's just, you have more people there. There's more people out there that know how to cook than what I thought. It's a small group, but the group that does know, they know how to do it very well. They're passionate. I mean, there's, don't don't get me wrong. There's a big segment of our (laughs) society that is horrible at cooking at home, you know, but, but there's also a, a, a nice segment that's very, very skilled and mm-hmm. passionate about it. So I would say just in Nebraska, Omaha, even more in particular, just understand there's, there's other red meat than beef. You know, I, I grew up eating mountains of beef, beef, probably almost every night, way more beef than pork. And I love beef, but I, th- I eat just as much or more pork today than I do beef. So. All right. And I'll get you out of here on this one. What is your favorite thing? about running td niche pork and working with pigs well it's like any business uh if you don't have the customers you're out of luck so it's a you know it's a large group of customers it's you know i guess you could say it's diverse because it's anything from somebody that lives just a few miles down the road to oh there's a guy from arkansas coming to get four pigs uh, this weekend for the first friends so from a pretty large geographic area. So I like the customers. They're what keep it going. You know, if I had to sell just one market, I'd be out of luck. So, Well, Travis, this has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I want to give a quick reminder uh, to listeners. Again, restaurants where you can go and experience CD Niche Pork, Dolce and the Boiler Room, both fantastic, highly endorse them. You can go get TD Niche products at Cure, the Mercado, and Otili Meats, or... You can message TD Niche Pork's uh, Facebook page directly, and that's how you can get those those half hogs, whole hogs, have them delivered to your basement, wow your kids, have a fun time. Travis, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing some knowledge today. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. All right. And Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us.
Ahura Media Production.